Hello and welcome to this episode of Conversations in Health. Uh, this is a podcast series which is brought to you by Clarivate, which you know, involves us reaching out to key opinion and thought leaders across the whole of the healthcare ecosystem, talking about consequential issues they face, uh, you know, particularly in, in the quest of you know, providing better health outcomes for patients. My name is Mike Ward, and I'm the Global Head of Life Sciences and Healthcare Thought Leadership at Clarivate, and it's my pleasure to be uh, hosting today's conversation. Since the start of 2020, <clears throat> the healthcare sector has had to show remarkable resilience in providing care for patients, while also dealing with the repercussions of the COVID-19 pandemic. Among the most significant shifts prompted by the pandemic has been the increased use of telehealth services. However, the pandemic has also thrown more light on the challenges of health inequity uh, in the United States, especially among uh, African-American and Hispanic communities. To discuss these issues and understand what efforts are in place and you know, to, to find solutions to those challenges, I'm delighted to be joined by you know, Juana Dixon, who is the Director of Programs, uh, Strategy and Development at eHealth Institute, or, or EI. Uh, Will Lopez, the National Medical Director of Virtual Care and Senior Medical Director of Behavioural Health at Cigna, and Denise White-Perkins, who is not only the Vice Chair of Academic Affairs Associate Residency Programme Director Department of Family Medicine and Director of Health Equity Initiatives Office of uh, System uh, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at the Henry Ford uh, Health uh, System, but is also Clinical Associate Professor at Wayne State University School of Medicine, Department of Family Medicine and Public Health Sciences. So uh, thanks very much for, 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 for joining me today. So to kick off the discussion, I thought it might be useful for each of you to give us a brief introduction, outlining where your organization fits in the healthcare ecosystem and, and what your role is in, in that organization. So uh, I suggest we'll start with, with, with Wana, we'll go to Will, and then we'll go to Denise. So Wana. Thank you, good afternoon. Um, as you said, I work with the eHealth Initiative or eHi, and we are a small nonprofit, um, a member-driven organization and we're a catalyst for healthcare transformation that convenes diverse leaders and executives from across the industry to unlock opportunities for collaborative innovation. Um, along with our coalition of members, we focus on education, thought leadership, and advocacy. Um, our primary belief is that innovation and diverse perspectives power the transformation of healthcare. And our members, um, made of, of an amazing leadership council, they work towards consumer-centered health that is low cost, high quality, and more accessible for, for all populations. My role as the director of programs and strategy is to lead our health equity and social determinants of health work. Uh, in light of the past 18 months with COVID-19, this has become a primary focus for us and will remain so until, until we reach post-pandemic. Um, with the advent of telehealth, this has become an area that we have focused tremendously on because this is the new delivery of healthcare. And I want to make sure through our programs and through our collaborations that we address the health inequity and that we 
we keep that top of mind and that we um, make sure that our stakeholders and the public at large and when policymakers are discussing these policies, that they keep in mind the sort of things that we're seeing um, as emerging trends and challenges as we transition to telehealth and healthcare at large. Yeah, great. Will. Thank you. Uh, first of all, Mike, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. It's, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, let me tell you about Cigna. So Cigna is a global health service organization. We have a presence in uh, 36 countries. And worldwide, we have about 200 million customer relationships. Here in the United States, our main book of business is insuring national employers like ExxonMobil, uh, FedEx, waste management and, and such, companies like that. And we have about uh, 14 million customers that we serve here nationally. Uh, my, my role at Cygnus as the virtual care national medical director is to put the clinical eyes on many of the solutions that come into market or many of the services that we are planning to offer. If you think about uh, the pandemic since last year, we have seen a significant growth in healthcare technology that probably surpasses what we have seen the five years before. So we have a lot of new products uh, that come out, new solutions. So I look at all those, including digital, digital therapeutics, uh, remote patient monitoring, any AI-related solutions, and make sure that they make clinical sense and that they are solving a problem that we have for our customers. Great, thanks. Denise. Afternoon, thank you for having me here. Uh, Henry Ford Health System is a large integrated uh, health system. Uh, that's headquartered in uh, Detroit, but serves more broadly in Southeast Michigan and beyond. And we have a long history of being committed to quality and care and to really emphasizing equity and diversity as well. Uh, so with the increase in virtual care that was sparked by the pandemic, we're even more committed now to making sure that there is equity and access and in quality of experience for the patients that we serve and the broader community. Great, so thanks very much. <clears throat> Actually, Denise, you also have a, a, a role though as, as an educator. Yes, yes, so Henry Ford Health System, in addition to patient care and research, we're very committed to education. Uh, we serve as a training site for numerous medical students in our area and also residents and, and fellow, fellows. Uh, and in that, in that work, we're very committed to making sure we not only equip those learners to practice clinical care, but to make sure they are aware of the various social and health system factors impacting health outcomes for our patients. Yeah, great. So I, I didn't miss that out. Um, so th thanks very much for, for, for those uh, brief introductions. So <clears throat> as I mentioned in, in the introduction, you know, and you guys have also referred to it. We've seen a surge in the use of telehealth services, but that uplift has not been equal across the whole of society. So I'd be interested in hearing from each of you, you know, whether the observation resonates uh, with your own experiences. So um, if I could start with, uh, with Denise. Well, most definitely. I believe that the pandemic really shined a light on the inequities that we have, uh, both in our broader society and then within our healthcare delivery as well. Uh, we, because for safety precautions at the start of the pandemic, converted the majority of our, our visits to virtual care 
and it became immediately obvious that there were certain uh, segments of the population we were serving that did not have uh, equal access. Uh, that was in terms ranging from at the user end, knowing how to use the technology to set up the visits, all the way to the more upstream issues of having broadband access in their neighborhood. So I think this really did highlight an opportunity uh, that we need to address to improve equity and care. Bona? Absolutely. I, I think what we've seen um, has really been this glaring uh, relationship between social needs and, and health needs. You know, um, we've known about social determinants of health, but through this use of telehealth, you know, as Dr. Perkins said, there's been uh, we see that the health inequities that, that have arisen and we recognize the vulnerable populations. And I think within that, we recognize there are more vulnerable populations than we may have categorized before. You know? And so we have to broaden our definition of who are the vulnerable populations and also think about what does it mean for, for access to telehealth? You know? Because there are some other questions that come about in terms of affordability and um, you know, access to infrastructure, all these things that healthcare may not be thinking about, but perhaps health IT might be thinking about. And so there's this opportunity to marry, if you will, technology with, with healthcare needs, with the social needs. And so that's, that's really what I've seen are the opportunities and, and the gaps in, in telehealth services. Yeah, so, so we'll do a little deeper dive, I think, into uh, you know, what those uh, vulnerable groups, uh, you know, who they are. Um, but but will sort of you know again you know from 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 your perspective you know sort of you know what we've seen yeah what what does it look like? Yeah, we definitely from from our perspective from Signa eyes we also have identified significant uh, disparities with minorities and one of the steps that we have taken is uh, as we created a coverage policy for telehealth earlier in the year. We had included telephonic sessions as cover, covered for as a benefit because we recognize due to the health disparities, we need to make sure that those that have no access to technology or broadband need to have a way to connect with their providers. So, so yes, definitely we have we we recognize the need. So, so Denise, um, I'd like to get sort of a little bit more granular. Um, you know, in in your experience. You know what are the you know, what are the, the, the groups um, doing to you know resolve health inequities uh, you know uh, that you're seeing and what are the most challenges uh, you know the most you know, challenging issues that that, that that you're having to deal with. I think one of the first steps is just being aware that these disparities exist. Um, it's very important to look at the data of who is utilizing the services you have available and who is not utilizing the services you have available, who's being left out. So starting to track when you look, for example, at utilization of patient portals and utilization of virtual care visits, we're realizing that older adults, um, those who don't have English as their primary language, those who are racial ethnic minorities or who live in underserved areas tend to be the groups that are not utilizing this mode of access. And at the same time, it's in a sense potentially compounding disparities because these are also the groups that tend to be at much higher risk for poor outcomes for the chronic conditions that we're trying to take care of. 
So you end up having those most at risk, most in need of care, also being in a position of being least able to access the telehealth services that we're providing. So it's really a call to action for us to look at the data, track where there are opportunities, and then move towards interventions to address those. And, and, and so what are those sort of interventions or the strategies that you're, you're employing to, to, to do that? So part of it is really making sure that we are engaging our entire healthcare team. There's a lot that has to happen before you're at the moment of the patient being in front of the provider uh, on the screen. Uh, we're, in, we're actually involving our medical assistants, for example, in doing some rooming, so to speak, of patients who are scheduled for virtual visits, making sure they have access to the technology, understand how it works, really getting them prepped so that by the time their appointment time comes along, they're ready to have the quality interaction with the provider. Uh, we're also making it easier just from a, a, a user-facing uh, point to engage with the visit. So pushing out direct links to patients' emails, which makes it easier for them to start the visit as opposed to having to sign on to a portal, which might be adding another barrier. Um, we recognize that we have accountability as a healthcare system but that doesn't mean we have to have all the answers. So we're working with community partners who are engaged in this area. Our chief technology officer, for example, is working with local community groups to advocate for increased access to broadband. Um, and, and we're doing some research and quality improvement projects to look more closely at opportunities for improvement, especially with the older adult population. So, so, wanna, so how, how does that sort of, I mean, how does that resonate with you, given the fact that you, you're, I guess, also trying to build those communities. Absolutely. Um, you know, our approach has been, you know, we think about, you know, less is more, you know. Um, I think with, with digital solutions, I think it's really important to keep in mind that um, people need ease of access, they need um, ease of use, they need um, affordability, they need a solution that that is very familiar to what they're already used to, to having in hand. You know, I think one of the mistakes that we made um, collectively is assuming that with telehealth, we can just turn on a switch and everybody's going to access the internet and start to, to see their doctor. And that's not necessarily true. And we know that not to be true because we've seen the data and the evidence that shows us it's not to be true. Um, you know, through telehealth, more barriers were became more apparent, you know, yes, it, it sort of addressed the geographical barriers that people may have, which is an SD, is a social determinant of health. It addressed the barriers, but it didn't address um, some of the, the cultural barriers, the linguistic barriers. Um, it didn't address even the simple device barriers. You know, even if you have the internet, you may not have a device that can access, um, you know, the telehealth platform, or it could be the opposite. You may may not have the internet, but you may have a device, you know, so then there's, there's something that's lacking. And so what EHI's approach has been, um, we've developed like this framework, we start from social determinants, like that's where we've started our work. And we've released a number of reports around social determinants of health, around data use. Um, and we've even released reports on specific populations because it is very important to engage with the community that you are trying to address the needs for. Um, in order to understand what are the unique needs. You know, I think over the past 18 months, we've talked a lot about um, the inequities with African-Americans and Hispanics and the Native Americans. But within that, there's also the older population. There's the, um, 
population with disabilities. There are, I mean, there's so many, there's so many different populations that we can talk about. Um, but through our work and through the reports that we've published and through our research, that is how we are educating the public at large and informing hopefully some of these policies that we're advocating for uh, with, with digital health, uh, you know, through reimbursement policies and such and, and access and how doctors can, can even provide services. You know? um, so all those things collectively, that's how we're addressing this. And we recognize the importance of partnership and collaboration and communication. And that's really the foundation for, the, for our work and for our approach with, with addressing these um, health inequities. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, so on a, <clears throat> I, I recall in the sort of the preparation um, uh, call that you and I had for the for this for this podcast, you mentioned that <clears throat> you had previously worked with NGOs in in Liberia, and I was wondering whether you know you could sort of you know, tell us any of the sort of the lessons that from that experience that. And now informing your efforts you know, to, to manage the inequities you're now uh, observing. You know, it's very interesting that um, there are a lot of the same, a lot of the same challenges. You know, Liberia, just to put it in context, is, is a country with a very high literacy rate of about 80%. Um, but yet most of the population uses the mobile phone. Everybody has access to a phone, not necessarily a smartphone. Um, and so realizing that here's this technology that people are using and they're very familiar with, we can now provide healthcare services. But the challenges were digital literacy. Not everybody was, was comfortable with using the phone in this, this way beyond the talking or the, or the texting. So the challenge became, and the solution actually was, let's create a way for them to talk to the doctor using what they know, voice and text. <laughs> you know, It's already something that's very familiar. And the lesson coming out of that is sometimes you just need a simple solution to solve a complicated problem. And you have to start where people are. And so we address that by creating something, a platform that could be on WhatsApp, which is a SMS-like platform. And then we also provided training in the communities for people to, um, to improve their, their digital literacy, if you will. And then we also approach some of the, the cultural drawbacks and barriers to people accessing that, their doctor in that way, because it didn't feel um, private, if you will. It felt too open. And, and in some cases, um, not even like I'm seeing the doctor because I'm talking on the phone or I'm, I'm texting that person. You take those same feelings and you bring them in the context of the US and you'll find it's exactly the same challenges. You know, um, they're very high rates of, of digital, digital illiteracy, if you will. There are some cultural barriers that prevent people from accessing telehealth, you know, and there's also, uh, we have smartphones, so we have too many apps to name, but people don't need an app. They just need a way to connect to their doctor, you know, and again, less is more. And so those are kind of the same, you know, the, the same lessons and same things that we're seeing. And, and when I think about, and I see what's happening in, in the U.S. with telehealth, that's what I, my mind goes back to, is thinking about understanding um, you know, applying these lessons from a low resource environment to what we'd assume would be a high resource environment, but essentially people are all the same, you know, and there are vulnerable populations no matter where you are. And, and the, that's how I frame it in my mind and I keep it in mind when I'm thinking about how do we approach and, and lessons learned and, and leveraging what I've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so oh, thanks, thanks for sharing that. So, so Will, <clears throat> you know, what is it that, that Cigna is doing to you know, ad address the sort of health inequities that we've, we've 
been hearing about. I mean, you know, in, in particular, you know, it, you know, it'd be great to hear you know, what initiatives that, you know, you, that you're pursuing right. to expand you know, so digital solutions, equitable internet access, you know, to in, in order to promote uh, health equity. Yeah, definitely. So, first of all, let me uh, I need to agree with Dawani on, on with her comment. Keeping things simple is very important. You know, in my role, I, I have a lot of different companies that come with to me with uh, different fancy solutions, technology based, and and sometimes you wonder, do we have a problem to solve for these? And and uh, what it comes down to it is, you know, well, people need something simple to access care. So, so completely agree with your comments. I really appreciate that. However, and you know, going back to Cigna and what we're doing, so actually Cigna embraces diversity both internally and externally. Uh, since 2008, we have created a health equity council that looks at some of the inequities that our customers are facing and looking at ways that we can break them down and, and improve access for, for minority groups. And, and this is in different ways. Uh, we look at different markets, different regions of the country and see what the needs are in specific areas. It, very general, like for example, a few years back, we had a, a colorectal uh, screening, uh, uh, cancer screening program in the Baltimore area where we partner with the barbers in that area to talk to their customers. You know, they come in and they, they talk to their, you know, you talk to your barber and you, you kind of, it's like your therapist in sometimes, you know. <laughs> so uh, that was, you know, someone that people trust, they know, and in, a, in that way we were able to Im impact uh, the rate of colorectal uh, screening in that area. Uh, specific to uh, digital solutions, we, we, you know, we have embraced a number of uh, alternatives, uh, not just relating to access to care, but also access to resources to address social determinants of health. Uh, we have a number of uh, web-based uh, solutions or, or options that are external to Cigna that help customers look re for resources within their zip code. And they can look for food resources, transportation, and other ways that they can support themselves and, and help with some of these uh, social determinants uh, deficits. In addition to that, uh, help providers as well to, to, to support their, their patients. We have uh, virtual health uh, literacy videos to help uh, educate on how to better set up a practice and support minority groups. We have uh, delivered devices for clinics so they can have uh, improved access for some of their uh, customers or patients that are uh, disadvantaged. We also have, uh, like for example, in the LA area, uh, uh, we have ma uh, partnered with Magic Johnson to work on different uh, opportunities where we can support uh, minority and women uh, owners of uh, small businesses so they can have uh, better access to care and, and, and break down some of these disparities. And to the extent that we try to find providers that actually specialize in, in uh, treating disadvantaged communities or, or populations so we can really leverage the, their expertise. So, so there's a number of ways that we try to really uh, support uh, diversity, both uh, through the digital environment, but also face-to-face. Uh, -face. Right, great. <clears throat> so, so, Denise, I, I referred to it earlier, you know, your, your role uh, as an educator, um, you know, particularly on sort of next generation of, of, of physicians. I was just wondering, 
you know, what you and other medical schools are doing to ensure that, you know, medical students of today um, are sort of you're embracing sort of those health inequities, uh, you know, particularly among minority communities. Yes, I think it's really important that we pay attention to that because, you know, we sometimes as scientists and health system leaders and academicians, we're very focused on the technology, the high tech piece of things. But that has to be balanced with a high touch where we're paying attention to the unique needs of diverse populations and being more patient centered. And to that end, I know that a lot of our um, medical schools and residency training programs are now including curriculum for their learners around how to use technology and virtual care in caring for patients. And those curriculums definitely include some of the nuts and bolts of how to set it up and document and bill. But increasingly, we're realizing it's important to also emphasize what we call website manners, similar to bedside manner. How do you ensure that you're having a meaningful interactions with, with patients that are bringing them into the visit and respecting their wishes? And it's still shared decision-making, but across this, this technological uh, platform. Uh, to that end, we were recently awarded a grant through the Michigan Health Endowment Foundation which involves establishing a, a collaborative among academic health system and community partners who are all serving older adults. And we're coming together to really figure out what do we need to do better in terms of training our providers. There are many toolkits out there and we're going to go through those toolkits and various resources and really vet them um, with these stakeholders and also include older adults as well to assess how well are we preparing our providers? What are some curriculum innovations that we need to make? And then our intent is to test those curriculum uh, with some of the residents and medical students that we're training. Right, right. Uh, that sounds great. And uh, it's clearly gonna be uh, you know, important um, uh, moving forward. <clears throat> we heard from Will about some of the sort of the efforts that you know Signa is, is is put in place and or, or is put in place, but I, I'm just wondering, you know, what examples or other examples of of best practice, you know, have you seen um, that you know will help alleviate health inequities that others you know should think about adopting? So. Uh, I, I, Start with you, Wana, and then we can go to Denise. And then, if if Will, if you've got anything extra to add, you know, yeah. feel free. But but what, Wana, first? You know that when you were asking the question, the first thing that came to mind was cultural competency. Um, and I think that you know because we're not face to face as much anymore with with receiving or delivering healthcare, I think that it's so important um, to have a meaningful interaction for someone that that understands who you are culturally and, and how you receive the information that's given to you. Um, doctors are so technical, you know, and patients are not, you know, it's like I have a sore arm, but that could be many other things. You know, I could be you know, not telling the full story. Um, so I think it's really important that as someone who receives healthcare to, to be comfortable, you know, with, with my provider. And I think that really begins with the cultural competency and that that just entails, again, like I said, understanding how someone receives information, how they share information, um, what their, you know, what the barriers might be to, to their own feelings of privacy, 
Um, that also also goes into their household, you know, having multiple members of the same family in the household and not feeling comfortable to have a, an open conversation. So I think cultural competency is, is number one. And um, number two, again, engaging with engaging with the community to understand, to understand the needs and understand what are the um, social determinant needs in a, in a particular in a, in a community that can't be overlooked. Um, I know it's very difficult for, um, you know, I think we have this conversation sometimes and we, we still debate internally about how do you address these social needs? Whose responsibility is it? Is it the provider or is it the community-based organization or is it both, you know? And I don't think that we have a system yet that's fully answered that question in a way that, that meets everyone's needs. But I think when, when we get to that point and we address the social needs at the same time, we address the, the, um, the health needs, then we'll begin to see like a more equitable um, system. And then lastly, I would say would be um, from the policies. You know, health systems policies can either bridge a gap or they can you know, create a wider gap. It just, it just depends. And policies have to make sure that we don't have unintended consequences coming out of the policies with um, you know, good natured policies because unfortunately there are some people that will be left behind but we have to be extremely mindful of that and look, uh, look below what we can see on the surface and think about, um, you know, what are we not seeing? What are the things that we're not thinking about that could be small, but have a very, very, very large impact on, on the population. Yeah, thanks. So, so Denise, yeah, other examples of, of best practice that you've seen? I, I definitely agree. You know, we, we're viewing telehealth as a potential solution for many of the social barriers that our patients face, but we have to recognize that access to uh, telehealth and virtual care is in, its, in itself a social determinant of health. Um, coming from the, the Motor City, I, I liken it to the fact that 40 years ago, when we were talking about access to care, we were focusing on transportation. And we were giving out cab vouchers and bus passes, trying to get patients to the place where we were delivering care. Well, now we're delivering care in this technology platform, and we need to really start thinking about what systems and processes and resources do we need to put into place to get patients to that visit, even if it's over the, the uh, cyberspace internet or whatever, as opposed to a highway. Um, and I think that requires multi-level collaboratives and interventions, and we need to make sure we have a diverse group of stakeholders at the table, diverse in terms of language, ethnicity, but also diverse in terms of representing the different sectors of our society uh, that are going to be affected uh, by lack of access. Will. Well, you know, I, I, I agree with all the comments. I think the, the only thing that I would love to add is that also there's a need for a change in the culture in, in general, in our communities, and, and that we include everybody. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Sigma embraces uh, diversity internally as well. And, and just to share with you and your listeners is that, you know, we have what we call an enterprise uh, resource group where we have different groups uh, LGBTQ, uh, veterans, Hispanic, Black, and they're you know groups that, that work together to to expand on that diversity within the company, and also looking at 
companies that we can partner, or Signa can partner externally that are owned by minorities to provide the, you know, the, the benefits that some of us have to having a, 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 a different socioeconomical opportunities. So, so I think it's just in addition to, to the uh, helping with the digital divide, we need to also expand on the overall uh, acceptance of diversity in our communities. Right. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's interesting. So, you know, we've, we've seen the sort of the efforts, you know, uh, each, you know, organizations and, and, and people like you uh, have been doing. So, um, and you even mentioned, Will, about, you know, how reaching out to um, the sort of the hairdressing community um, as a sort of, I guess, quasi, quasi uh, um, uh, therapist. But, but I was just wondering, you know, when, when we sort of, you know, look at, the sort of the, the communities that you, you're talking about building and the fact that it requires all these different efforts. Yeah, are, are, is there, you know, which, which stakeholders, okay, would, you know, would you most like to, 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 to influence that, that maybe haven't quite got on board this train yet? Um, you know, particularly sort of, you know, the pursuit of, you know, greater health equity. Um, so, you know, who do you think should be involved and, and what would you like them to do? So, um, Wano, if, if I could come to you first. That is a very loaded question. It's a very good question. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, I really think that change has to happen. I, I'm a bottom-up change kind of person. That's just me. And I think that the community... Um, needs to advocate for itself and for its needs. And the community needs to talk to its physicians because physicians don't know. The providers don't know. You, you know they, if you don't talk, they, they just don't know. So I think that it really starts at the community level with people advocating for their own health care and talking about what their needs are and how those needs can be addressed. And until we have that visibility from the community and have that information from the community of exactly what those needs are, Everything else we do, I think, will just be in vain because then we're working on assumptions. And um, you know, that's that's why we're having this conversation today. You know, we assumed that everyone would be able to access telehealth, you know, and that's clearly not the case. So for me, I think it starts with the community self-advocating and to create that awareness and so that um, so that other stakeholders can can get on board and be supportive and, and fill the need that's that that's required. And, and Denise, who, who would you like to, you know, be, be stepping up? I, I would agree. I think we really need to, as, as health systems and providers of care, do a better job of listening to the patients and communities that, that we're serving. Uh, for example, we have a digital patient and family advisory council. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, listening to our community collaboratives that are already out there doing this work of advocating for greater access. And as health systems coming alongside them um, to, to partner, to advocate for these uh, changes that are needed outside of the health system, and then being humble enough as an organization to listen to their feedback on how we might do a better job in serving them. I, I think those, those, those final thoughts and, and observations uh, that, that you shared today are clearly the foundations for you know, a manifesto that would reduce health inequities. So, uh, Juana, Will, Denise, I, I'd like to thank you all so much for taking the time to 
not only talk to us today, but actually share with us those observations, those experiences, as well as you know, your, your, your thoughts of you know, how we can, what we can do going forward. Um, I'm sure that they'll both resonate and, and inspire many of our, our listeners. So uh, if after listening to this, this podcast, uh, you'd like to tune into future conversations in health, follow our LinkedIn page, because that's where we'll be posting alerts to future uh, releases. So in closing, I'd, I'd like to thank Juana, Will and Denise again for, for, for joining us. And I'd like to thank our listeners for, for tuning in. So until next time, stay safe and healthy. I'm Mike Ward, and I'll see you in our next episode.